Welcome to a very special episode of How Bitches Are Made. I'm your host, Rachel Melvin. Season two of the podcast is on its way, and I'm so excited for you guys to hear the new stories that I've been working on. I've made some really exciting changes to the format of the podcast, which you're going to get a little sampling of with today's episode. As most of you know, I am a huge fan of Taylor Swift, mostly because she was the inspiration behind the concept of how bitches are made. So obviously, I was super stoked to hear that she was coming out with a new documentary on Netflix called Miss Americana, and of course watched it at, I don't know, like 12.01 the morning that it was released. But uh, I wanted to discuss some things I observed, give you my commentary, and I wanted my friend, Brooke Valone, to give you hers with me, and that's why my intro was so awkward and like giggly. (laughs) Because I'm used to doing this podcast totally by myself. Oh. Yeah, I've moved out of my closet. (laughs) To the open space. To the huge open space of your apartment. apartment. (laughs) Hi, Brooke. Hi, Rachel. Um, Brooke kind of (laughs) single-handedly, she's like making the funniest face. She kind of is responsible for me finishing the first season, you guys. Like I had a really hard time and we had like a really good heart-to-heart and that was when I barely knew you. I know. And you were so amazing. I already loved you. Aww. <laughs> it's because we're both Italian. And Libra Moons. And Libra Moons. Right. So, yeah. Heck yeah. <laughs> um, okay. So, I guess let's just, like, jump into this. Mm-hmm. Um, Brooke and I actually did not watch this documentary together. We were supposed to, but, like, conflicting schedules. Yeah. Time sensitivity. Happened. Yep. Yeah. And I'm glad that we didn't because there would be literally nothing to talk about on this commentary. Because we would have talked about it while we, we were We would have talked about it. Exactly. hundred percent. That's like, yeah. it would have been like an episode of The Bachelor that we, <laughs> we are the worst people to watch The Bachelor with. We actually, have, my, we, I couldn't tell you what they actually say on any of the episodes no, 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 that I watched we talk with you because we're talking. My sister-in-law actually watched it with us one time and she was like, I could never do that again. You guys just not, would never <laughs> shut the fuck up. And I was like, we have a lot to say, but you know, it's like stand-up material. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh yeah that show especially there's it's, it's like so much content and I know you're caught up on the current season right now I'm an episode behind but like I cannot wait we're gonna do that when we're yeah when we're done with this yeah but yeah. but this is not the commentary on the bachelor there is a separate podcast for that with people <laughs> that have been on the show which I'm sure is way more interesting um this is about T Swift yeah okay so first text message that you sent me is that you were kind of indifferent toward her until you yeah. watch this documentary. Yeah, I mean, kind of apathetic. Like, I didn't really have an opinion about her one way or the other. Which That's I think so is funny. Because most of, people do. I know. I never really have. I didn't really... This is terrible. I didn't really know who she was. Are you this serious? Is years ago. This is years ago. Oh, okay. Years ago. I thought even now. I was like, what, are you living under a rock? No, I didn't really know who she was. And then um, my best friend, Carter, actually did a movie with her. What? Valentine's Day. Um, hello? Yeah. Do you not know my level of obsession? I, I should not say obsession. I should say fandom. I don't actually. I mean, I've learned through the process of talking about doing this, but I didn't know. Oh, my God. So Carter knows Carter knows her. Okay, so I'm going to know Carter soon. Got mm-hmm. it? Okay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I feel like you kind of already do. I do. That's um, but he had nothing but like the highest, nicest things to say about her. And I obviously respect his opinion very highly. And then we went to see her at Staples Center. A friend of ours managed Hyde. So we'd go to the Hyde box and like watch Kings games and see concerts and whatever. And so I went. Like I didn't know a word of a song except like what gets played over and over in like a Starbucks and it seeps its way into your brain. 
And the performance was incredible. It wasn't like being in a concert. It was like seeing a show. I described her concerts as like, it's like a slumber party motivational speech. It was unbelievable. It's, I mean, it was, it was yeah, the it's, sets, like the sets and the, just everything about it. I was, I, it totally won me over. Yeah. So after that, I went through like a little bit of a phase and then I just kind of like, it just kind of fizzled out. I mean, like, obviously I'm not completely disconnected. Like I had opinions about the whole thing that happened with Kanye and. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which Ooh, we'll, well, we're going to get into We're going to get into because that's in the yes, documentary. I can't wait to hear. I hope yeah. we disagree so that it's interesting. Like, you know. <laughs> I don't know if I will. Fodder. <laughs> <laughs> not in that regard. Um, but yeah, so I mean, like I kept up with her a little bit pop culture wise, but I just didn't, I don't know. It was just kind of it. And then I, yeah. And then obviously I heard like the bad stuff and I heard the good stuff yeah. and I, but I never got really invested one way or the other. And then. This documentary, like, totally. Yeah. The reason why I wanted to watch it and specifically do a podcast was because I knew this movie just based on the title, Miss Americana. I was like, this is going to be all about the plight of the modern American woman. And, like, that's what mm-hmm. this podcast is. And because she was sort of the inspiration behind it, I was like, let's dissect this and break it down. And I was super excited to see it. Okay, so um, true to my OCPD anal retentive tendencies that I know you can appreciate, <laughs> I, I have made notes in order, as I watched this, oh, which was I super annoying, you. my roommate Mari tried to watch this with me, and she was like, I can't do this, because I kept hitting pause to type <laughs> up notes. Poor dear. Okay, so the first thing that I noticed that I was super excited about is, you know, she's sitting at the window with her journals, mm-hmm. and she's showing the journals, and one of them said bitch on it, and I was like, fuck <laughs> yes. So it just was, like, exciting. That's just a little anecdote. Um But so her whole belief system was to be good, to do the right thing, be a good girl, Mm -hmm. which, as you know, is kind of like the crux of what this podcast is, like Uh how bitches are made. That is how we're taught to be as little girls. And as we become adult women, which you see in this documentary, it becomes very complicated because that doesn't serve us as older women. Mm -hmm. And then we kind of... This is just a recap for people that didn't listen last season. Yeah. We kind of rebel against it with a tinge of bitterness because we feel gypped. And then um, we have to find the balance of respecting ourselves and other people. But it's hard when you've been taught your whole life that the only way to succeed is to be liked. And that's exactly her whole point of her career. Mm-hmm. It's an interesting experience for me when I think that I'm very different from someone. Mm-hmm. I mean, listen, I know like we all have more commonality than we tend to realize. That's something I understand. But generally speaking, when I encounter someone that I perceive as being very different from me, mm-hmm. and then they say something that resonates so, so closely to my own experience, that it's like to have that have happened so immediately into the documentary, I was in. Yeah. I actually had intended because I started it so late. I started it when I got home from work. And I was exhausted. I was like, I'm sure I'm going to fall asleep. I'm probably only going to watch part of this. I'll have to finish it tomorrow. I feel bad. I told Rachel I'd watch the whole thing tonight, but I don't think I'm going to, I don't think I'm going to make it. And then I ended up like, because of that, because of that and how much that spoke to me, I was in. Yeah. Even once it ended, I found, I was like, oh, it's over. Yeah. It was very quick. It went by really quick. It was very swift, you might say. (laughs) (laughs) So punny. Um, yeah, I mean, I think like that is the cool thing about this is it's like, I think I think kind of the thing that's always annoyed me about people that are like, I don't like Taylor Swift. And you know, they highlighted this. Or she's annoying. Or she's a good girl. Mm-hmm. She's a two-shoes. I actually, goody two-shoes. I actually wrote like a blog post on howbitchesaremade.com that's like the modern example of how a bitch is made. 
mm-hmm. because she went from doing 1989 to Reputation and having to do the sexual harassment case. And I remember reading like all of the um, articles that came out about her. And it was like, oh, she kept saying ass when she was on the witness stand testifying. And she just seemed so angry and disrespectful. And I was like, "Uh uh-huh, of course. Uh So we're going to get on her for being too nice. And now we're going to get on her for standing her ground. Of course. And this is just the whole point, isn't it? Yeah. Like you can't win as as a woman, let alone who's in the spotlight. Yep. And I don't don't want to get too far ahead of where your notes are, but... And I don't, now I don't remember who it was. Was it Larry King, maybe? Someone said in the segment about Kanye that oh my there God. were like four, was it there were four other artists that could have, then she's, he did it to her because he could. Oh, I thought you were going to say a different part. No, um, but it yeah, was, no, that for sure. Like he did it to her because he could. For sure. I he thought, he could. Uh, my, my comment, the guy I thought you were talking about was a guy that uh, made a reference to the Dixie Chicks, but, but we'll get there. Oh, that, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's you, whole, you know which one I'm yes. talking about. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, I was yeah, so yeah. mad. Um, <laughs> um, so yeah, so she talked about like being fulfilled by approval was was what she lived for, and like obviously we've all experienced that as women and girls. And then the thing I love most about her is what she said at the start of this was just that every musician has their niche, and she is very aware of what hers is, which is storytelling, yes. relating to people. Which yes, which is bro- funny. Carter and I just had a conversation about this about relating to people. No, about her being a storyteller. She's one of the best. For whatever your feelings are about the genre, the style, or whatever, there is a quality of music from the 60s and 70s, which a lot of us still cite as being the greatest era of music, mm-hmm. where they those artists told us stories. Right. And they told us stories in a very unique and very um, profound I mean, I don't know way. About you. I love the stories that they tell nowadays about slapping asses and fucking bitches. <laughs> like, that really warms my heart. I don't know what you're talking about. I mean, look, I'm a I'm a rap fan, so I can't <laughs> I can't, I can't, speak, I can't really necessarily funny. speak. But that's a different kind of no, no, musical no, I'm, experience. I was making a joke. I didn't mean to interrupt no. you. That was very selfish of me. <laughs> but but it is my podcast. You like I paused. I was like, kidding. well, um, but Anyways, sorry. but I do. But even then, like when I say I love I love Tupac because Tupac tells stories about his personal experience and experiences of the people in his community, even if they aren't personal and stories that the people who are listening on a wider scale may not otherwise have access to if those stories weren't being shared with them that make them think about things a little bit differently. And the stories that I have heard from Taylor are stories of adolescence and being a young woman and being a young girl and what that means and what that looks like. And it obviously speaks to a lot of young women because she is immensely popular and successful, even with the criticism she gets. And... I find myself relating to it even as an adult woman. It takes me right back to those experiences when I was in middle school and in high school. And for someone who doesn't have those same experiences directly to hear those stories and to understand like, oh, this is an experience that's different from mine. This is giving me insight into another person's world and reality. And I think that sharing those stories is one of the most important ways that we connect. Yeah. And there isn't really anyone doing it the way that she's doing it. She's brilliant. Since since the 60s and 70s, like since yeah. that era of folk music. What's really interesting too, though, is like even you were just saying it, like everyone loves her music about, because it does, it brings you back to that time when you were growing up and you were in your adolescence and you're a young woman. And where she started to lose all of her fans was when? When she transitioned into being a woman. Yeah. Which I just think is so fascinating it's like okay so now I'm a grown-up and I'm dealing with really grown-up shit outside of just like struggles and love right 
She's I, putting her finger up but swallowing. I do so have to, I'm drinking a spin drift. I can't help myself. <laughs> um, what I gathered from even watching the documentary is it didn't seem like it was her fans she was losing. Like it didn't seem like she mm-hmm. lost people who she had because it seems like a lot of her fans sort of grew up with her and were going through that transition at the same time. Right. It seemed to me from the outside that like a lot of her criticism was coming from people who were outside of her fandom outside of the realm of paying attention to her, who were like, oh, she's just this cute little blonde girl singing about being a little girl, and it's fine, we don't care. And then when she started having a voice and having opinion, it's like all these other people who were in the other room not paying attention to her were like, sorry, what did she just say? Yeah. Oh, wait, what? Yeah. Oh, she's oh she has opinions? Oh, she has things to say now and no, to contribute? Just quickly now, shut her up. <laughs> now we have a problem. Right. Yeah. Um. So... The end of my last season of the podcast, I kind of like ended by saying, oh, I had another epiphany and we'll talk about that next season, which we're totally going to. But full disclosure, I couldn't fucking remember what the epiphany (laughs) was. And I was like, what what was it? And then when I was watching this documentary, I was like, oh, that's what it was. (laughs) And it was about realizing that when you do things alone and there's no one to share sharing your successes it's really heartbreaking and I do think that every woman especially as they kind of go like go into their 30s there is this real especially if you're a career-driven woman there is this moment where you're just like what have I been doing with my life and I told my boyfriend when her new album came out and the song The Archer was released that song made me cry instantly just because there was this lyric where she's like I jump from the train, I ride off alone, I never grow up, it's getting so old, help me hold on to you. Oh my god, I like felt like I'd been gut bunched. Gut, gut bunched? <laughs> gut bunched. Um, no, no, we're keeping that in. Um, I like, I just started breaking down in the car because where I was at in my life at that time, and then when she says... Um, uh, I wake in the night, I pace like a ghost, the room is on fire, invisible smoke, and all of my heroes die all alone. I was like, I can't listen to this song anymore. Because you do feel, it's like, look, I I would say that Taylor Swift is arguably a hero of mine, even though she's five years younger than me. She's someone I've looked up to for probably the last 12. Yeah, that can happen. That's. I feel like every album she's released, she even says this in the documentary, and I was like, yeah, hand raising. Um, she's like, when people listen to my albums, they feel like they're reading my diary and they feel like they're going through the same thing I'm going through at the same time that I have gone through it. And yeah. I'm like, that's a thousand percent how I feel when I listen to every single one of her albums. Even Lover. I'm like, oh, perfectly. This was like released when I just found the love of my life. And I love all these songs because it's where I'm at. It's amazing. <laughs> so all of this is suffice to say, I've been talking so long, when she's at the dinner table with her friend Abigail and she's talking about the people that are getting married mm-hmm. and like how like she's like not she can't see herself not having kids but then she's like aware of her age and like she's not ready to have kids like she doesn't oh man I just relate to that so much Mm -hmm. and I can't help but feel like obviously if I'm relating to that you're shaking your head you're relating to that like how many other women are yeah and that's really what I'm going to get into in this next season of the podcast but it's like that it is a very fucking dark time and I could, I felt like it was palpable watching her on the screen. Yeah, it's what's funny to me, and I don't know if this is the same experience that you have with this, but for instance, um, when I found out my my best friend from I have quite a few best friends from high school. There was like a little oh, group of us you. that were yeah, 
And we still keep in touch, and it's really beautiful and great. Um, but there was one in particular in the group who was like my my partner in crime, like my best friend. But I remember when I found out that she was getting married. Mm-hmm. I had this. My first, my initial re- reaction was that I was so ex- I was ecstatic. I was so excited for her. And then I had this weird sort of feeling about that insecurity about like where I was in my life, which is especially weird because, as you know, I don't want to get married. But that just makes this reaction even a little bit stranger. So I had this, I had that same doubt of like, what am I doing with my life? I'm like, where am I? And and I talked to my cousins about it too because I happen to be home in Michigan when I found out. And my cousins are a little bit older than I am and married and just different dynamics, but talking to women who are beyond me in experience about like right. this feeling that's right. new to me. I stopped and like really thought about it, about what, you know, my friend's life looks like and how that's beautiful for her. And I'm so happy that she found that. I am not yet ready to not run around drunk for three days straight in the desert with my friends at Stagecoach and go to Comic-Con and, you know, drive to the Grand Canyon at 11 o'clock at night spontaneously. I That's still where I want to be and what I want my life to look like and what I had to come to realize through this process of processing my feelings about this person so close to me getting married was that the way that I perceive being a partner and being a parent is that once I make the decision to do that, that's my life. Mm-hmm. And that will be my life for the rest of my life until the next major transition, which won't be until my kids are adults and leaving my home. And even then, I'm going to be their parent forever. Right. So this time of my life, what I'm in right now is so limited and so so short in the grand scheme of life that I'm not ready to rush it away. So why do I feel bad that she's somewhere that I'm not when I am very happy with exactly where I am? Because I think it's like this whole, it is sort of like ingrained in us from so little that like I do sort of feel like as a woman, Mm -hmm. if you're like nearing 30 and you're not engaged at least, like you feel like you're failing. Oh, yeah. And it's so silly because it's such an antiquated belief, but it's so deeply ingrained in us that we just like naturally feel it. And I, I also think that there's this other, like at least for me, which is what I, I'm suspecting Taylor's feeling because it just looks so familiar. But it's like she's reading those journals and she's reading excerpts about like how she's going to be, I don't think she said famous, but she's going to be successful and this is her whole life and that's all Mm -hmm. she ever wanted and all she ever wanted. Mm -hmm. And that's how I was with acting. That's all I ever saw. That's all I ever based my life around. And it wasn't until like, you know, a couple of years ago, I had this great epiphany that I was like living life all wrong. And I'm so sorry, you guys. My my neighbor upstairs just had a kid and... um, (laughs) Speaking of babies. (laughs) They're here with us on the podcast today. Um, But anyway... Um, so I think I never, you at least have foresight and like have a lot of self-awareness into what you want out of life and how you want it. I didn't. I only ever focused on this one goal and this one prize that when the possibility or idea of me maybe wanting something else came Mm -hmm. to me, I didn't know what the fuck that meant. I didn't know how to get it. I felt Mm -hmm. like a failure. I got really confused. I got really paralyzed. And like for the last two years... I've basically paused my career yeah, because I've been trying to figure out how to be a woman and what it means to be a woman. Look, we're so lucky 
<laughs> that we live in a city where we can have neighbors that bang, <laughs> bang on walls. Um, no, we're so lucky to live in modern times where like we have so many options and we like can be career women yeah. and we can be career women with families or we can yes. just have families. I think that there's just, again, there's like a lot of confusion in our head and like we spend so much of our lives running after this one thing the minute we sit still we're just confronted with this bigger thing where we're like what am I doing what have I been doing like Mm -hmm. what do I want to do and it's like can be very debilitating oh yeah and then I'm gonna I'm gonna take this and flip it on its head also yes this is what I love about Brooke she does this (laughs) shit which is that you know we talk about which I think is much more common this idea that like it's our place as women to be married and to have babies and to do these things by a certain age and this pressure that we feel. But also being career women and being in a major city, there is the other side of that, which is this, um, what often gets conflated with feminism, which we'll get into Mm -hmm. why it's not the same thing, but it often gets conflated with feminism, which is that we should be focusing on our careers and we should be putting our careers first. And so what if we don't have babies? That's okay. We don't need to have babies. We don't need to get married. Like we can surround ourselves with other powerful women and we can do whatever we want to do. And so this idea that this, this very, which my therapist loves to talk to me about binaries or mm-hmm. working on not looking at things in binaries. Okay. But this very binary idea of you're either married and having babies and doing those things. And if you are, you're doing those things before you're 30 mm-hmm. or if you have surpassed 30 and you're not doing those things and you have a career and you're focused on your work and your independence, then that's who you are. Mm-hmm. And you're that woman. And how dare you think about wanting to have babies and a family and a partner because yeah. then you're not a feminist. Right. Which, let's all be real, anyone who actually understands and identifies as a feminist understands that being a feminist means having the freedom and the right to be whatever kind of woman you want to be. Right. Not being told what kind of woman you have to be because of society or societal pressures from right. anyone. And just because you're a feminist doesn't mean a guy can't hold the door open for you. Absolutely. <laughs> if that's what you want. Yeah. And it also is totally cool if you don't. But right. it's about having the right to decide for yourself. Exactly. What your preference is instead of being told what it has to be. Right. So to connect that back to this whole conversation about what it means to grow up and become a woman and be a woman in this society is that it doesn't have to be either or. You don't have to be this kind of woman or this kind of woman. There is space to be both mm-hmm. and all and everything. And I mean, those are just, those are two very distinct binaries that we tend to encounter a lot in society, but there are so many others and you can fall anywhere that you want to fall. That's the whole point. And the fact that people outside of ourselves keep trying to shove us in a very specific designated area is where so much of this pain and frustration and tension comes, comes from. It doesn't actually come from what we want right. and what we're ready for and where wh- how we really feel about where we are. It's the perception of where we are. So it's it's funny that you just said that because the next two like big things about this documentary that I wanted to touch upon were like the two things that actually next to the what we just discussed yeah. touched me the most. Most Oh, God, I wish I could talk. Um, <laughs> You're doing great. You're doing great. <laughs> it's a good thing I'm not getting paid for this yet, right? Um, so it was, it was the whole Kanye West thing, which we, mm-hmm. like, honestly, I fucking forgot about because it got overshadowed I by didn't. the most recent Kanye West thing. Um, but I never noticed her face, like, 
Um, like when I worked on the soap, there was always like the stage direction of she looks crestfallen. And uh, I was like, what the fuck is crestfallen? That. 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 The way her uh, face just like went from so happy to sad. Oh my God, it broke my heart. Oh and God. like, and then when she was talking about how when everyone was booing. Yeah. And she, she thought it was booing like her was, and, and she spent the next uh, few years like trying to prove herself. Oh, gross. It just makes me feel uh, so gross. It I makes me feel it. so dirty. I hate it. I guess that's all I had to say about that topic. I mean, well, and then to like bring it back up, like to rehash it again. Like, well, my my the phone oh. call and recording the phone call. That's what I was gonna say. Like, the whole thing about him trying to take credit for her career. I'm sorry. Oh, Knowing Taylor Swift, on. she never would have been like, yeah, yeah, go ahead and call me a bitch in your song and take credit for all my success. Are you fucking kidding me? I have a very hard time believing no. that she'd be like, okay. And also, even if she did. Even if she did, that's a whole other conversation about how we are, as women, so often and so frequently coerced into agreeing to things that we don't actually want to want agree to, to yeah. because we are we feel under pressure and we want to be nice and be good and be agreeable. Oh my God, one of my favorite parts in the documentary too is when she was young and she was on stage. I actually wrote it down. She was 16. She told her audience to call the radio station and then backed away and started playing and then she went back up to the mic and she goes, please. I was like, uh-huh. huh. Uh-huh. I don't think a, a dude would have done that. Uh-uh. <laughs> no. I just thought that that like so clearly like supports... What oh, yeah. she had going through her head for so long. Yes. But yeah, the whole Kanye thing is just like really frustrating. And then, yeah, when all that blew up and like she went, you know, down her spiral or whatever you want to call it, it was, it's hard to watch because mm-hmm. what did she say? When you follow the rules and make one misstep, you're shamed. So you go in the opposite direction and become a bitch. Oh, this was what I said. Sorry. <laughs> then she, then she said, it quote, like something she could have said. Yeah. Right. Um, she may have said when you follow the rules and make one misstep, you're shamed. And then I said, so you go in the opposite direction, become a bitch. But then she says, quote, I felt really bitter, like a wounded animal lashing out. Uh Mm Uh-huh. Yes. Remember the step in the cycle of how a bitch is made, Mm -hmm. what that is? That's step three. Yeah. Anyway. Um. I'm nodding because my mouth is full of fingers. Yeah, no, no. It's okay. It's okay. Um. Um, the other point that I wanted to talk about was when she was saying, you know, she wanted to talk about, oh my God, this part, when she wanted to talk about politics and she was in the room of all the older white men oh, and her crying dad. with her mom. And it was literally her and her mom on a couch separated from the men. Yeah. And her dad. And she But just, her dad was one of the men who was I know. like, I don't want you to do this. I know. Which really. Oh my God. Even now I'm getting goosebumps. That hit me because and she's my dad getting and I so, oh really? not aligned in that way. Oh man. And that's, it's so but you know, hard. the thing is, I don't even know that they didn't agree. Like, I'm sure they feel the same way, but he was just advising her for what to, to protect herself. Oh, I mean, that too. Listen, my dad and I aren't Which, necessarily aligned in that way either. But I mean, in the way of like, like my, after the most recent incident, like anti-Semitic incident, my dad, I can't remember where I was going, but my dad asked if I was going to take off my chai and my Jewish star. And I was like, no, of course I'm not. Why would I do that? And he's like, well, yeah. do you think it's very safe? And I'm like... Do you think it's a good idea? I'm like, I don't care. It's who I am. Right. And I'm proud of who I am. And in a similar way, I think her dad was like, this is even if he agreed with her, which we don't right, know. No, he was trying to protect but her. But he was like, this isn't safe. This isn't a good idea. But here's what frustrates but me. That's who is she it like, would they say that to Austin Swift? I don't fucking think so. No, but let's also be real that the stakes aren't the same. That's true. The stakes aren't the same. He's not, he wasn't wrong. It's just that at what point do we keep 
perpetuating this thing that none of us want to subscribe to anymore right. for the sake of our our safety, whether it's physical or proverbial or hypothetical, right. whatever. We, at a certain point, the stake of not being true to ourselves right. and being who we really are and showing who we really are and allowing people, especially when you have a responsibility to a fandom, right. which I do think you do. She does, yeah, and she knows that. I have a whole thing about that having been in this industry as long as I have that when you choose to take on a fandom that involves young people and children you do have a responsibility yeah. to those kids to be a good example whatever that example is that example being be who you really are and be true to yourself right. and let them feel free to be true to themselves right and she wasn't doing that mm-hmm. and that eats away at you that breaks you down yeah and at a certain stage that becomes far more dangerous than any repercussions of being open and being honest about who you are and what you feel. It's so interesting, though, that her mom, who comes from obviously a different generation, where, look, every generation before us is more oppressed. Mm -hmm. And I thought it was so awesome that her mom was, like, supporting her. Because, let's be honest, her mom's probably like, yeah, Taylor, like, make a difference. Because my generation didn't get this opportunity. Like, And I thought that was so cool. But I was so proud of her to, like, it's so weird to be proud of someone you don't know, first of all. No, but I felt it too. I felt felt so proud of her when she's, like, crying. And it was so real. And I thought, God, if if only most people on TV could act this well. (laughs) (laughs) I know. But we've also been in rooms where it's, like, us against how many men. Yeah. And you just, it's its so hard to stay in that space of strength and stand up for yourself because you feel so patronized. Yeah. And to watch her just stick to her guns, basically, yeah. and yeah. Like stay with it and and really put her foot down. Especially a moment that where she seemed like she was like going through the hardest time in her life, oh, too. Oh, when she apologized yeah. to her dad. When yeah. she said, like, she said something like, I hope you forgive me because I'm going to do it. Yeah. And I was like, oh, that's, I've, I've been there. I've had, I've said those words to my father. Like I've had that conversation where it's like, I'm not asking for your permission and I'm not even asking for your I approval. I did that. I did that with I my dad, just... but it was about smoking pot and then he started smoking it with me. But, <laughs> um, <laughs> but anyway, um, so around that same topic, they were showing like um, snippets of media outlets, like, you know talking about the Dixie Chicks and and why you shouldn't voice your political opinion when you come from the country music world. And I could not, I mean, I can believe it, which is what's sad, but uh, someone said the Dixie Chicks deserve to be slapped around. Mm-hmm. I mean, I know it was like however many years ago this was, mm-hmm. but it's like you literally just promoted physical abuse toward women. But wasn't that a clip from, that's a good Heavily political on your part. But wasn't that a clip from Fox News? Was it O'Reilly or something? Is that what the Fox News dude? Yeah. Uh, Like, so don't pay attention to politics. But this is why I have Brooke on, by the way, because she's very worldly. It was a non-surprising source of a comment. No, for sure. I mean, I know this guy has said, like, far worse things or just of equal equal or greater value in the same regard towards women. But it's just like, oh, God, it just makes me so angry. Well, you know, it's funny. It reminded me of um, a friend of mine told me once that... I think it was her dad used to say that as soon as you start swearing in an argument, you, you lose. Yeah. Because it's sh- it shows that you've lost your composure. Yeah. And if you've lost your composure, you're on the defensive. And if you're mm-hmm. on the defensive, it's because you don't have confidence in what it is that you're arguing for. Yeah. What if and, you just like the word fuck? I mean, I love that's my favorite word in English <laughs> language. But I do think, as someone who swears like a sailor and doesn't have a lot of issue with it, 
Um, I do temper myself when I'm in an argument. I yeah. don't swear when I'm that's when something I'm I've in an argument with someone. My sister always says, "Whoever's calmest controls the situation." Yeah, it's very true. Um, but I feel similarly about threats of violence. If you're yeah. starting to threaten violence, it's because you're at a complete loss. You have no, nothing. Right. You have nothing else to go to. You're you have right. nothing else. You're so right. you've already lost. The reaction and the response to the Dixie Chicks, and even a lot of the reactions to Taylor, it's a direct response to um, their threatening women standing in their own strength and in their own opinions and not apologizing for them is a threat to the standard way that society has functioned. And so a lot of these responses and reactions are because people feel threatened and they don't know they don't know how to respond to those feelings or how yeah. to process those feelings. Yeah. It's not an excuse. It doesn't no. make it okay. No, no, no. But, but it I just totally shows know what you're saying. Yeah, but it also just shows that like what these women are doing and saying has weight. It makes a difference. I mean, I just found so much of this document documentary relevant to things that's the stories I shared in yes. the last season of my podcast. Oh, yeah. Um like we kinda already covered the whole um body image, body dysmorphia thing, which mm-hmm. you know, I just went into such depth about it on the on previous episodes. I don't really wanna go into that now sure. unless you have anything you want to add that you think is very important because it is an important topic but no I mean other than just I, I thought it was really wonderful how she was open about how it how easily she spoke about yeah. it yeah yeah. because I think that's and I do think crucial. it's good that she did speak about it because it's like somebody like her speaking about it normalizes something that people might think is very unnormal, abnormal about themselves and shameful. so that's cool people right. have a lot of shame right. surrounding any sort of Anything that feels like it's outside of the norm. Right. And to be able to talk about it casually. Yeah. And easily. I'm sure it wasn't easy, but to have it feel that way. Right. Makes it safer for other people to talk about it. And the more we talk about things, the healthier we are and the less alone we feel. Yeah. That's true. The more likely we are to heal. Um, the the only other thing I wanted to talk about was, you know, I had my pussy grabbing episode. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm hard pressed to find anyone I know that hasn't had their own like sexual assault or harassment or what have you experience. Uh-huh. It's more, it, it usually becomes a question of, so what happened to you? Yeah, right. Instead well, of, I guess that's the whole point of the Me Too movement. Do you watch movement. the show Sex Education? <laughs> no, but Mari keeps telling me about First that First of all, too. this show's amazing. Secondly, they do in, in, an incredible episode on this. You should really see it. Okay. It's everything. It's literally everything that you talk about. Yeah. And I mean, like, I... I, I mean, we kind of talked about this already earlier, but the one thing that I noted in here, um, I said, it's true. They immediately ask women questions that insinuate what happened was our responsibility. Uh-huh. And it's just so fucking crazy to me. And I think like when, I don't know, it's just such an interesting thing. And I'm, I'm so careful when I talk about sexual harassment because like not every dude is bad and like, it's not, not all guys. They're not all horrible. Like... There's just some that are not like brought up right or when they do things are not held accountable and it makes them think that they can keep doing it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the thing that happened to me is like when when it happened to me, I just remember the thing that pissed me off even more than some dude I didn't know grabbing my fucking genitals. I hate that word. (laughs) um, 
was that like people on I'm trying to make a joke about it because I didn't know how else to fucking deal with it and like people were attacking me on social media saying it didn't happen because I wouldn't be tweeting about it I'd be going to the police and I was like what that's, is the what is the what are the police true. gonna do he didn't like rape me or like hold like a weapon t- to me right like, it's just like such a weird thing it's like you know I I once heard when you're a black boy in in the community you are taught immediately how to deal with law enforcement yeah just because of of what their parents and the community know is bound to happen. Unfortunately, I don't feel like girls, at least not in my experience as a white female, were brought up to know how to deal with that potentially happening. No, I mean, I grew up up knowing and my mom making very clear what to do in worst case scenarios, like the extremes, Mm -hmm. Um, but not the day-to-day harassment but my mom was also well she was probably never taught how to deal with it yeah exactly so did my grandmother and I mean oh what was it was it on Twitter or Instagram that that was going around when girls started posting the age they were when they first got catcalled and most of them were under 12 it's so crazy and I remember being like nine maybe (sighs) I mean and that's it's not like your mom sits you down and is like hey let me prepare you right. for creepy dudes screaming stuff at you out of a right. car window while you're on a walk with your friend just existing. Right. Oh, my God. She, there were so many great quotes from this documentary. She goes, a nice girl doesn't force their opinions on people. A nice girl smiles and waves and says thank you. A nice girl doesn't make people feel uncomfortable with their views. But to that point, I also feel like a nice girl just doesn't make other people feel uncomfortable. So, like, when uncomfortable things happen to us, mm-hmm. like, what happened to me? I tried to make everyone else more comfortable, comfortable by uh-huh. making a joke out of it. Uh-huh. And it's like, because, like, really, I guess, psychologically, what I'm trying to do is get myself to feel more comfortable, and that's the problem. I shouldn't be comfortable. No, should be because uncomfortable. it's uncomfortable. And you know what? I, I was in a situation. There was a year I was at Comic-Con. All of my friends were at this other party. And I had gone to a different party with my, my good friend and his girlfriend at the time. And because I thought we were going to pop in and say hi to some people. And I was single and wanted to, like, meet people. And that seemed like a better avenue to do that than the other party where I would just hang out with everybody I already knew. Mm-hmm. And it was lame. And I had been pushing them. I was like, everybody's there now. Let's go. I want to see all of our friends. Let's leave. Let's leave. Let's leave. Um, and in the process of trying to get me not to leave because they wanted to stay there longer, his girlfriend and I kept taking shots. Now, I don't really drink. So it it hits me pretty quickly and easily and I was pretty drunk and I finally get them to leave we're starting to leave in the meantime the girlfriend is gone I mean she's obliterated she must have been drinking so much more than I was and so he's concentrating on the girlfriend which makes sense and I'm behind them we're walking out of the club and he's got her and I'm following behind them and this guy there's like this big staircase we're rounding coming down to this big staircase and right as we're like coming around to it this guy grabs me so hard on the ass that he actually pulls me back, like by the ass, like grabs me and pulls me back away from my friends and says something to me like, like, come on, baby, let's go. Like you're coming with us or something. And at first I was like, maybe he thinks I'm someone else. Like maybe yeah, he that's thinks I'm someone else. My first thought was as you were saying this. And so I turn around really quickly as he, I kind of like turn as he's coming around to face me. And so he's now seeing me. I am clearly not whoever he thought I was. And he's still like, come on, baby, come on, let's go. We're going to go. And I, my adrenaline, I shoved him. I don't think I've ever pushed someone that hard, that far. Like I almost pushed him down the stairs. 
And I said, I don't fucking know you. He was like, whatever, whatever. And starts going down the stairs and I turned to the security guard and I said, did you see what just happened? And he was like, no. And I said, that, that guy just grabbed me. He basically assaulted me and now he's just leaving. I don't, I mean, I don't know if he's leaving the club or going to a different floor, but I don't think he should be in here and touching women like that. Yeah. And the security guard goes, well, I didn't see it, so there's nothing I can do about it. Yeah. That kind of stuff just happens. That's like when she said, that she kind of goes, stuff just can happens. you imagine how many, which she said, I had, how, I don't know the exact quote, but Taylor had said, I had this many witnesses and yeah. photo evidence. And, and it was that was, hard. Still was doubted. And that hard to be believed. So imagine when there's no witnesses and it's just someone's uh-huh. word against someone else's. And that's exactly what you're describing. And it's just like, so, there is no way to win, it so feels like. I completely, I like lost it. I just started sobbing. I stepped to the side. A very nice man, which I think is important because in that moment, I needed it to be a man, Mm -hmm. came and checked on me. He was with other women, came and checked on me, brought me a water, asked where my friends were, made sure I wasn't alone, said that he'd like stay and wait until I found my friends who I was calling and texting, but my friend was dealing with his girlfriend and wasn't checking his phone. Mm. The especially frustrating part about that is that earlier in the night when we were leaving dinner, another girlfriend of ours had been, we'd all been walking in a group and she'd been near the back. And she kind of ran forward up to my friend and another guy who was with us. And she was like, hey, you guys, you should really hang to the back of the group. You shouldn't let any of the women fall behind. Right. Because we're in heels and we can't walk as fast. And I just got talked to by some creepy dude like this. We get picked off the back. Right. So just make sure that you have eyes on us. Like we're all out and drinking. And yeah, I guess it sucks to have to like be the parent as a man when you're with a bunch of women. It's not. not It's being the protector. But it's also like... You're in a safer position than we are, and we deserve to go out and have fun with you. Mm-hmm. And if we want to have this be an enjoyable experience, we're gonna need you to help out and like be on top of it's your su- shit a little bit. It sucks because I was like just telling somebody that it's like like guys just don't, and it's not their fault. It's just no. like I want you to try to put yourself in the position of being a woman where it's like I just said I wanted to go celebrate my 35th birthday in Capri or Capri, Italy. Yeah. My boyfriend can't go, so now I can't go. Because I'm a single female and, and I don't want to travel yourself. by myself. And yeah. I'm like, God, I wonder if guys know what that fucking feels like. Sure, I could go by myself as a woman. Yeah. I could. I don't want to because I don't you fucking enjoy feel it. safe. Yeah. And I won't. I'll be looking over my shoulder all the time. Can you imagine living like that? That fucking sucks. I know. I think I honestly think about getting raped every single fucking day. No joke. Yeah, probably. I genuinely and how to prevent do. it and how to be safe. And, I always yeah. carry pepper spray. I always have yep. a knife. I'm always thinking how I'm going to get out of somebody's grasp. Mm-hmm. That is probably because I always listen to true crime, but it's also <laughs> because I have a vagina. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and because you've had experiences that have it's made crazy. you feel unsafe, it's even so if they crazy. haven't been to that degree. But the the point of this the whole thing, the real point, I mean, there are points in it, but the real point is that at the end of it, I finally got reunited with my friends. I was hysterically sobbing. We just went back to the hotel. My friend who'd made the comment about keeping an eye on women, mm-hmm. like not letting women fall to the back of the group, she was amazing. She was on it. She was like, this is exactly what I was fucking talking about. Yeah. And then flash forward two years, two Comic-Cons later, that same guy friend who was with me oh, I that night. Oh, I thought the other guy that grabbed you. No, the friend who was with me that night says to another friend of ours who's coming to Comic-Con for the first time, who's coming with me and say, another woman, to keep an eye on Brooke, because I can drink a little too much at Comic-Con. Oh, of course. It's your fault. It was my fault. Yeah. Because I was drunk. Because it's always our fault. That's like a really shitty thing to say. That really upsets me. That really upsets me. I was... We didn't talk for a really long time, actually. 
Yeah, I could see why. We didn't talk for a long time after that because I was livid. I was so livid. I'm actually someone who usually... I will address a conflict. Like, I don't have you a problem so with that. But I was so angry mm. that I couldn't even find the appropriate Ooh. words to address it. Libra moon. I get the same way. Yeah. So I just had to take space. I was like, you know how you know I'm really pissed? If I don't talk to you about it. If I don't talk. Uh-huh. Period. Uh-huh. If I'm just quiet. It's uh-huh. like, you want to get me to shut up? Just really offend me. And it's so hard to uh-huh. offend me. Same. I have um, endless patience until I, until I don't. Yeah. But it was, you know, it was on me because... Because I drank too much. That's just crazy. I think like I think and got like too that's... emotional and got because I didn't try to prevent everyone from feeling uncomfortable. I was extremely uncomfortable and I let it be known. Yeah, right. And so you're and problematic. so I'm problematic. Well, and just I like, drank too much. Just like Taylor when she started fighting back with all of these things, like uh-huh. in the documentary. You're the like, problem. And I'm like, okay, so let me get it. Some someone assaulted you or harassed you, however, whatever you want to call it. Then tried to sue you. That Somebody blows interrupt, my mind. Interrupted aud- your speech to take away what you worked so hard to have. Then tries to years later take credit for your fame and success. Girl, it's and people wonder why I like Taylor Swift. Unbelievable. Oh my god, I just hit my funny bone and oh like no. that was crazy. Anyway, we'll wrap up, but um if you haven't watched the deck the doc oh my god, Jesus Christ. Oh wait, I want to say one thing. Yeah, please. Which is that the one I thing I was I was a little bit bummed was missing from the documentary is I did especially because it was about womanhood and growing up and becoming a woman from being a girl. I wanted to at least get some information about her, her and Katy Perry. Oh, yeah, and they even I mean, I showed guess. the video, the video that Katy Perry ended up doing with her after they made amends. Yeah. They showed, you know, clips from that and they didn't, they didn't even address it. Like they didn't touch on it. It didn't come up. Her name wasn't mentioned. She wasn't shown. Yeah. I would have liked a little bit of that and just Carly because. Claus. Like I, you want to know what happened, but. But just be, for the sole reason, not because, you know, having grown up in this industry and around this stuff, I have strong feelings about people people being able to maintain a lot of their personal private life as much as they possibly can. But as far as this documentary being about womanhood, part of womanhood is learning how to grow and cultivate those relationships with other women when you've been told your entire freaking life that that's your competition. Well, that's why people should listen to this podcast because yeah. I'm all about that shit. Yeah. I, I have my own um, reasons for thinking why they left that out. And my, my personal opinion is because, like, I don't think they're really friends. I don't think they really made an amends. I think it's all for show. I think, obviously, something really big happened with her and all of her friends because she doesn't follow anybody on Instagram, not even Joe Alwyn. She is in full-on self-preservation and protection mode, which I'm all about. Like, yeah. I've gone through that. I think it's absolutely necessary before you can actually find your true tribe. Yeah. It's kind of ironic just because, like, I always find myself on the same timeline with her. And when I cleared house and, like, tried started to find mm-hmm. my new tribe, I found it in the gay community. Yeah. And now she's, like, really good friends with Todrick Hall. And I'm like, that makes total sense to me. Again, just projecting my own experience. And I'm not going to go much further into that because that's so finding my tribe is so heavily um the what we get into in the upcoming season yeah that I'd rather save it but I continue to love and support Taylor there were there were a lot of things that like I kind of wish we got more into too like her mom's sickness and I'm totally with you like that was her choice to not get super super personal and I think to kind of just stick to the whole thesis of Miss Americana which was the whole thesis of how bitches are made but I will end it on this she did say in the documentary that 
quote, she is trying to reprogram the misogyny in my own brain and toss it out, reject it, and resist it. And then she made a comment about like taking the word bitch out of everyone's vocabulary. And I was like, that's where we differ. (laughs) Yeah. Because like, look, the bottom line is, and this is sort of what I came to, we're always going to be called bitches. We just Mm -hmm. are. I know that. I just like, let's just take a word then and redefine it and make it our own and make it a positive. And the cool thing is the LG, yeah, yeah. And the (laughs) LGBTQ community also uses bitch as like a term of endearment. They use it like humorously. And, and I find it just more and more in, in many different communities now just being used in a positive way. And I think like, yeah, we're, it would be lovely to like eradicate all that shit from our lives, but it's just never going to happen. Yeah. So if we can take back the word and, and use it in a positive and motivating way, I think like that's what we should be doing. And yeah. that's really what I'm trying to do. And I love that you are a really powerful, like inspiring woman that I get to call my friend. And I love that you want to share your opinions and your intelligence with people that listen to this and come on and be a part of this podcast because believe it or not, it's so, it's it's already hard enough to find really strong, powerful, independent women that are very secure. It's exceptionally hard to find those same women that are willing to actually speak about it and not care about the backlash or flack they might get for being that way. And I've had a very hard time finding people that want to share their thoughts with me or with our listeners. So thank you for being one of them. Because it, it's fun to get to talk to it's somebody outside of my clothes. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you so much. Yeah, and thank you for having me and inviting course. me into this. You know, you know how I feel about everything that you're doing. Okay, we're gonna go make out now. Yeah. Okay. And watch The Bachelor. <laughs> <laughs> Bye. How Bitches Are Made is written and produced by Rachel Melvin.